and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. <clears throat> we are recording this on the day of April the 20th. I went and spent a little time in Central Park today. And let me tell you, New York has taken very quickly to the removal of the prohibition of marijuana. And, you know, this is the 420 day that people who smoke get all charged up about. I don't really know how many people in my neighborhood, like, give a damn about that. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't really have no understanding. It's like, you can't really tell if it's 420 or people just smoking weed. It's very difficult to get a handle on that. It was like 70 degrees. It's got to be the first day in 2021 that it's been 70 degrees, and they was out there. But let me tell you what else is out there in Central Park, man. Children, lots and lots of children. I'm not talking about the children in conjunction to the smoking. I'm talking to the children about the children just in conjunction with the way that they be out here behaving, and their parents don't be paying no goddamn attention to them. So I'm sitting out there as these packed kids, and they in their private school uniforms, and we can't quite figure out what's going on. So I'm sitting on this rock. And all of a sudden, a whole bunch of kids decide they're going to, like, come up the rock. Like, we ain't even there. You know what I'm saying? And so they come up the rock. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And one of these nosy little kids listening to the conversation. The kid come with some, um, it's an after-school activity for such and such's birthday. I'm like, oh, okay. Got it. Thanks for letting us know. And then they just running around and jumping up and down on a rock. And, and, and for those of you who are not familiar with Central Park, uh, maybe somebody can put it in the chat room. You're a little bit on your own here if you're listening. But like when I said, it did not seem like a wise idea for these children who seem to be like seven years old running up and down one of them rocks in Central Park. All the parents there, like, sitting on blankets and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Not paying a lick of attention. And, and I got to be fair here. I don't have children. I can't imagine what it's like to be alert at all times, right? Like, always on it. But, man, wasn't nobody on it. And I'm just glad none of them got their teeth knocked out. And I'm worried the whole time because I'm like, man, if one of these little rich children bumps into me and then busts her ass on this rock, they are not going to believe that it was their own negligent parenting to blame. Oh, hell no. I'm going to wind up on the news. And you know what I'm going to be on the news doing? Acting indignant. That's what. This will not be blamed on me. Please believe that. I don't know where they got the cameras at in Central Park, but I know they're there somewhere. Maybe they're on a satellite. I got no idea. But somebody was going to have to verify and prove my innocence. Hell no, like the whole way, I'm just like, please don't bump into me. Please, whatever happens, do not get injured anywhere near me. This will not be blamed on me. And like, it's all moms, you know what I'm saying? I can scrap it out with your pops. He get a little bit too loose with it. These, these kids don't look like they got daddies who can fight. Like a little bit after that, man, a bunch of little snot-nosed kids, I don't know where they came from, but they was... Like they wasn't in school uniforms, but they were all in polo shirts and khakis. And I just looked at them, and it was abundantly clear to me upon seeing those children. I only knew one thing about them. Their parents are assholes. Like, I'm talking about the kid had on, like, like, the, like, the, 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 horse, like the thin horizontal stripe joints, and they was wearing, like, tight khakis, and people, like, riding their bikes around Central Park, and they out there, like, screaming, asking people to pop willies and all this stuff like that, as though those people out there to amuse them. Or something like that. 
Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, I guarantee, man, I hate your parents. Like, I'm, I, if I had to bet, man, your parents are responsible for the collapse of a whole lot of things, man. And they're going to be rich on the back end regardless. Like, that's what I saw. That's what I witnessed out here today in New York City. It's been a while. You know, I try to give you guys, like, regale you with some tales of what I, you know, going on in New York City. But it's been a pandemic and all that stuff, and that certainly cut into it. But, you know, the park, that's relatively safe. So I went out there and disposed it up. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, man. It was out there. It wasn't all good. Anyway. Let us move on to your questions. Is it sad that the Chauvin, Chauvin, I don't know how you say that man's name, verdict was a shock? All right, so as I may have told you guys before, I watch a lot of Law and Order reruns. I don't really so much watch them as much as they watch me at this point, but like I watch a lot of Law and Order reruns. And during the you know for commercials whichever network this is i'm not even sure which one but or it may be on all the different networks because law and order come on like four different networks but anyway they've been running commercials for court tv's coverage of this trial and man that was distasteful like they're really talking about this trial like it's a big game because that's what Core TV does, right? I mean, they they I, I understand why they're doing it, but it still felt like wild distasteful. Anyway, that's about as much attention as I paid to this trial. I wasn't doing it because why? What was I going to get out of this? Like what was going to come from it? And in the end, there was a conviction that I did not expect because these things typically don't end in convictions, let alone in convictions on all counts. Now, my man says, is it sad that the verdict was a shock? You late as hell with that question. Like, like of, of course. What do, what do you think I'm going to say? No, like, what a stupid-ass question this was. I just took it because it would get us into talking about the other stuff, but I don't want you to feel, Kingsley, left out. When I think a question is stupid, I say it, and that's part of the appeal of this podcast. It's one of the things that people enjoy. And I'm guessing maybe that's just what you wanted. For example, I have a homeboy who has a cousin who was a big fan of Rudy Ray Moore, and he went to a Rudy Ray Moore show one time, and Rudy Ray Moore called him a high yellow motherfucker. And that was one of the highlights of this man's life, was Rudy Ray Moore calling him a high yellow motherfucker. And maybe this is what you wanted, right? This, this, is, this is the equivalent of me calling you a high yellow motherfucker. You tell all your friends I called you a high yellow motherfucker, even though I didn't really do that. Rudy Ray Moore did that to my homeboy's cousin. But anyway, yes, it is sad that it was a shock. But I do think we have reached a point where if there is video and uniquely egregious murder you just might get convicted and guess what guys that's progress i'm not saying that's something to be happy about i am however saying that this is progress so i got to thinking about this a little while ago if the rodney king incident happened now do you think those cops would have been convicted like do you like the way the trial played out what role media coverage ultimately would have in all this stuff 
I think they probably would have been, even though that video, like, cut in in the middle of the ass whooping, and you couldn't quite tell, like, what got us to that point. I think they'd probably wind up being convicted in this day and age. Now, granted, Rodney King's 30 years ago, but I think you get the point that I'm making. This is a bit of progress. Now, the dude in the chat room saying, don't fall for banana in the pop- tailpipe, they still got to sentence him. No, you're right. They do still have to do that. However, they actually have to do it. I'm not saying that this is the world changing. I am saying, though, some things in the world have changed. I think that's kind of hard to deny. Now, for those of you who have followed me for a while, you know this. I don't watch these videos no more. I don't follow these trials. I don't really read up on them so much. Because why? The issue is so big and so macro that I learned over the course of time that getting caught up in every one of these individual cases just wasn't going to do the job. It wasn't going to solve anything. And in the end, by and large, it was going to wind up with some measure of acquittal. This time we didn't get one. And what did that take? That man had to kneel on that dude for nine minutes and change. That's what it took. Like my man here talks about the cop uh, Van Dyke, the dude in Chicago who killed Laquan McDonald, who also got convicted again. You know, there was a time this wouldn't have happened. And then he got four years. So, yeah, the sentence might not ultimately be that significant. I'm also not comfortable. Um, like I saw somebody sent a tweet that said that this was an awkward day to be a prison abolitionist. And I am not all the way in my journey to the point of prison abolition, though I will not say to the people who are or incorrect. I'm just not quite there. My brain hasn't wrapped itself around what you do with certain people. And I, I imagine it's the conflict that comes up when you got somebody like this cop. If you are an abolitionist, like what do you think is supposed to happen to this person? But, you know, we the only country that really be out here doing this thing where you're supposed to go to jail for 50, 60 years and all this stuff. They don't really do that everywhere else. And so... I don't always know how I feel out here rooting for people to get like, as you know, throw the book at them and all this stuff. I'm just, I am by nature not a vengeful person. So that doesn't really land with me in the ways that it lands with a lot of other people. That's me. Um, we will see what happens. Like if they wind up giving them like 30 days or something like that, then yeah, I'm going to be out here and I'm going to trip. But yeah, man, I don't do this. I don't. And I understand that this was like a major flashpoint for a lot of people. And I'm not judging you if you decide to follow this. Um, I do raise the question about what the hell you're so happy about, though. Like, I see people like, oh, yes, this is accountability and all these different types of things about it. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. Like, I don't know. And it's because I can't ride these things in the micro. I can't ride the individual examples. I just don't see I don't see the value in it because that. There ain't no high in it, right? Like the win is not, the win isn't a win. The win is a dude who murders somebody is going to jail. Like that's pretty, that's pretty normal when you stop and think about it. Like I'm not too big on getting, on making these things into something that they aren't necessarily. Um, But I also do think it's kind of encouraging. Not like supremely encouraging. Again, this was a particularly egregious example. Now, uh, there's going to be a trial for Ahmaud Arbery, uh, the, guys, the guys who killed Ahmaud Arbery. And I, mean, I feel pretty confident saying that them dudes are going to jail. Like, they're not actually police officers. And I don't think that this is a situation um, that's quite akin, although I guess, it's not going to be quite what happened with George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. And that was where that case got killed before they even took it to court. There was never a chance of conviction because it took so long for them to get everything together and so forth and so on. You know, it was just so much. 
Uh, the Aubrey, again, I didn't watch that video because I don't do that. But that one seems like a pretty open and shut case. Like, we're not good at throwing cops in jail for killing people. But, like, just for white people killing black people like that? Nah, they've been throwing people in jail for that for a while. Like, I don't think you're going to need to get to the end of that one with your fingers crossed. And the guy's like, it's still Georgia. Jackass, it's America. Like, I don't understand why you somehow think that the state really has anything to do with how such a thing is going to go. Zeke Boudreaux. Fucking moron. Like, are you not paying attention? Are you not looking around? But I'm pretty sure them guys are going to jail. And if they don't, like, that, that, that one's going to be something. They'll just be, like, at least that's in, a, I don't want to say at least, but that's in, a, like, a non-urban area, so they ain't got to worry so much about people tearing shit up. Like, in fact, I think with the Chauvin case, we should have known that that thing was going to come back as guilty when they announced that during the day. Last thing they was going to do was give a not guilty and give y'all time to pregame and then go out there and tear shit up. They would have had this going. And, 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 and they got a curfew cracking up there around now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, 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 baby. Please believe. Uh, if this was not guilty, they would have told this, what do they call it? Under the cover of darkness. That's, that's where, uh, that's where that one would have been taking place. Like, I think that was the sign. And they were like, yeah, we can do it in the daylight. Ain't nobody tripping. Ain't nobody really going to do nothing. All right, cool. We got it. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. There you go. So. You know, I hope this is gone. I hope this is an outcome that the family can ultimately deal with. It ain't going to bring nobody back. Hopefully it gives them some measure of solace or whatever it is. But I just have to be honest. I have not put myself in a position where this is going to require me to be consoled. I just don't think it's healthy to ride along with these every single time. We can't put our hopes and dreams into these damn juries. <laughs> like, we don't have a great track record with that. Like, my brother hit me up and said he was relieved and other people did. And I guess there's a certain measure of relief that comes on this one just because it was probably going to jump off. And if it jumped off, it was going to ultimately get ugly. Like, if there's relief on that standpoint, then, yeah, I think there's something to it. But I ain't got no faith in these juries. I ain't got no faith in these prosecutors. I got a full-on understanding of the way this police machine works, all of this stuff. Um, if we start seeing, like, a real turn, then we could talk about there being, like, a real turn. And I do think that we are seeing some things turning. Again, the most egregious examples have caught on video, you're probably going to go to jail for that. Or there's a good chance you might go to jail for that. You know, because I thought that that defense that I seen to come up with, basically the idea that the drugs might have killed him, not the knee on his neck, I thought that was going to be effective. Because, like, if you in there and you white folks and you just looking for a reason to not guilty, that would have been a pretty good one. Like, I don't know. You know, I mean, that, that one, that one, that one had a chance. That one had a chance. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Somebody here talking about was first degree uh, warranted in this situation. Like, I'm a fucking lawyer. I don't know. Dude says, why do people who partake in herbal inhalation need a day to celebrate it when they be token up every other day of the year? I would point out to you what one of my students when I taught at Carolina pointed out to me when I taught a, I had a recitation on April 20th. And these kids were in front of me talking about happy holiday. Like, I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Like, I was 24 years old. Like, how lame and old do you think I am where I didn't know what they were talking about? And I made a very similar point to them about that. And the response somebody gave me was, yeah, I tell my girl every day that I love her and I take her out on Valentine's Day. There you go. I get the feeling, though, there's a difference between me and Christopher who asked that question, which is Christopher obviously appears to be a herb. 
stop being a herb. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Why did you not tweet anything about the DM, death of DMX? Why are you paying so close attention? No, serious question. Why do you care? And I'm not, I'm, I'm asking that. I understand I sound very combative in my tone as I say that, but I also am very curious as to, like, aside from what kind of fucking question is this, like, why would that be the thing that you would ask me? Like, I don't know if you've been paying attention to my Twitter account for, like, the better part of the last two or three years, but I don't really talk about much at all on Twitter at this point. So what do you want me to say about DMX? Here's the thing. I wasn't a fan. I'm not saying I disliked the dude, but that wasn't my jam. He was not as important to me as he was to other people. That was not my time to talk about DMX. Why? Just so I can be seen talking about DMX? Just because everybody else was talking about DMX? Like, seriously, because that sounds like what the expectation is. And so where we've kind of gotten on a lot of this stuff with Twitter, and part of why I don't talk about that much in the first place is, I'm not required to put out a public statement just because somebody you care about died. I'm not required to put out a public statement because this dude got convicted. Like, where I find it to be interesting here is that my man was like, why didn't you tweet anything about DMX? I didn't tweet anything about that trial because I stopped doing that years ago. You understand what I'm saying? So, somebody like me, it can be very easy to get you feeling like I got to say something about whatever is going on right now. And I don't. Particularly if I don't have anything to say that you couldn't say yourself already. So that's how I operate. You do you. But... You'll get what you get from me when you get it. Appreciate the question. Yes, we are recording this at the same time as Versus. And is that what we're doing? Yeah, kind of that's what we're doing. I don't really have the time to do this as often as I used to. And that was not important enough for me to reschedule. I also figured them dudes wasn't no chance they was going to show up on time. I mean, maybe they there by now. But come on now. All right. In fact... In line with what we were just talking about, the dude said, in light of that Las Vegas Raiders tweet and others, have we reached a point where maybe it's better for brands to stop commenting to score PR points? See, what my man wanted me to do on the DMX thing is talk about it just because everybody else is talking about it. That's how you wind up playing yourself like the Raiders did. The Raiders sent out a tweet after that verdict that said, and I quote, I can breathe. That was a terrible idea, but they felt like they had to say something, and I swear to God, they didn't. They did not have to say anything. I told you guys the story about Wrangler and the tweet, right? So when all the stuff was going on with Floyd, with George Floyd last year, uh, like in, in the immediate aftermath of it, and I was noticing that all these corporations were putting out their statements and all of this stuff, right? And I was noticing that, like, pretty much everybody was, but not everybody was. And I made the point. I was like, I'm just curious. I wonder if Wrangler has put out a statement to say Black Lives Matter or whatever it was. And I tweeted that, 
And I went over and looked and was like, of course Wrangler had not put out a statement. Because that ain't going to affect at all how many people buy Wranglers. I got news for you. The black folks that's out here buying Wranglers, they, they neither expect nor require that from white folks. Just letting you know that now. Anyway, the next day, Wrangler tweeted out a statement. I'll lie to you not. That's exactly how it spun out. Exactly how it went. I think this might have been right after, I think this might have been right after Drew Brees messed up. But anyway, you get my point. Wrangler, I swear to you, you did not have to put out a statement. I promise you that you didn't have to do that. And so, yeah, you're setting yourself up for a lot of people to make a lot of mistakes in the course of this. Um, I just don't need these corporations to say something on all of these things. I don't. I think it's good for them to do what they can to, like, support their employees. But I also recognize that a lot of them doing this and putting this stuff out is them supporting their employees. In a lot of cases, this is them saying to their employees they understand that this is important to them and they stand on the same side as them. I just feel like y'all could probably handle this on Slack. That's what it's called, right? Slack? Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Why doesn't Red Man get mentioned often when discussing all-time great catalogs and rap history? That depends on who you're having this conversation with, I think. Because I don't have any problem finding people discussing Red Man's catalog in high esteem. I do think, though that now that we've reached a point where people rap well into like adulthood and middle age, that there's cats that kept cranking out album after album after album, and Redman has not quite done that. So like he doesn't have a catalog like as deep as Scarfaces or Ghostfaces, for example, just because it doesn't have it just doesn't have as much in it. At least as far as I know, as far as I can tell, I could totally be wrong. But I do think that to an extent there's a certain time and place element with Red Man where the youngsters just ain't gonna get it. Like it ain't enough, it ain't enough singles, and he was a not quite gangster rapper in the midst of gangster rap, and at a point where the music press just basically boiled rap music of the '90s down into various various beefs, East Coast, West Coast, whatever. And Red Man was not a person that anybody thought about in that context. He is incredible. He is 100% incredible. Like, for people, those of you who are young, and I don't even know, like, I don't know, what's the best way to put this? Like, they don't make rappers like Red Man anymore. And what the hook of Red Man is, they don't really do that anymore. Like, it is incredible lyrics in this crazy wordplay and metaphor game, but it's all personality, man. Right? Like, Red Man wasn't, like, deeply exploring the world or anything like that. But he could just rap. He had all the styles in the world, and it was just always hilarious. It just seemed to be a little bit off his rocker, just a little bit, but just normal enough where you could see him as somebody that you would kick it with. Like, you knew a dude like Red Man. I don't feel like they make them dudes like that no more. You know, that's the only thing. Like, I don't know. But Redman has an album called Dare's a Dark Side. It is his second record. And how you feel about Dare's a Dark Side will tell me a whole lot about whether or not our musical tastes are compatible. Because if you don't love Dare's a Dark Side, we just coming at the world from different places. And I understand how it is that you might not love Dare's a Dark Side because it is a weird, dark record. But I love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. 
People talk about the first three Redman albums as like the run. The fourth one is good too. Shit, the fifth one ain't bad. But Doc's the name is still pretty strong. But you go back and listen to Redman, like the Redman Method Man pairing is very interesting because they're very delightful together. But every time you listen to the two of them on the same song, you come away with a very, very clear idea of which one of them is better. And it is Redman. By the way, Jordan makes the point. He's right. He said, Redman hates Dare's the Dark Side looking back. He actually did a lot of the production on it. I think he said that he was in a dark place when he did it. I don't care enough about him to care about what kind of place he was in. I love that shit. I ain't about to stop liking it just because he don't. You bet he like a lot of stuff I don't. I mean, just, whatever. Whether you're going to ever release any of the behind the elevator music combos you have. Why do you idiots keep asking me that? No, I clearly don't want you to hear what I'm saying there. If I wanted you to hear it, I wouldn't play elevator music. Everything that's behind the elevator music is something that I don't want to say publicly. Well, there comes that Herb Chris again. Me and my girl saw Nate Burleson on the Super Bowl broadcast at Braves a few months ago, and we were trying to remember any other men employed on mainstream television with traditionally ethnic urban black hairstyles. Are we missing anyone? What is this? This is not... This is not traditionally ethnic, urban, or black. What are you talking about? Say what you mean. I don't recall there being too many dudes with braids on TV. But the hair game just kind of flipped up all the way. Man, there's a whole lot of open doors that I'm not there. But keep this in mind, though. Nate Burleson is a former player on television with braids. That don't mean that I could get on television with braids. Uh, guys, Brandon Marshall doesn't have braids. Oh, okay, but it is traditionally. Okay, you talk about these dreadlocks. All right, gotcha, guys. Gotcha. But again, former players. So where does the cop stay once he gets inside? Can't be general population, right? I don't know enough about jail to answer that question. However, I do want to make note of something with Shalvin, however you say that, that I didn't mention before, but I absolutely noticed upon watching him. He could not believe he got convicted. Like, did you see... I would say the look on his face, except he had a mask on, but he had one of them disposable masks that leads me to believe that he's a man who doesn't own a mask, and they gave him one when he showed up. But anyway, you see the way his eyes were moving when he heard that first guilty guilty of second-degree murder? He couldn't believe it. He was shocked, stunned. Then it kept going all the way. Like, you would think that there would have been some kind of, like, like maybe tearing up. Like, you looking like you're going to go to jail. Some kind of disappointment or whatever it was. It was utter disbelief. Not once for a moment had it crossed his mind that they might convict him of this. And guess what? I don't blame him. Because I didn't think it was going to happen neither. Now he about to go to the bing. Damn, homie. I imagine growing up in Atlanta was something like Detroit. We had no cultural bias, so my older brothers had albums from every region rap-wise. Well, see, I didn't grow up in Atlanta. I grew up in Houston, and there absolutely was cultural bias um, (laughs) around that way when it came to rap. See, what the impression that I've gotten about Detroit, I'm not sure. But I could definitely say this about Atlanta, because I do think what you say about Atlanta applies. Atlanta is a city... That, like, when hip-hop got cracking, they was on it immediately. Like, Jermaine Dupree makes a very interesting point about music out of Atlanta, where he's like, basically, you can, at on some level, from just about every record to come out of Atlanta, at the bottom of it is Planet Rock. Like, if this gumbo, Planet Rock is the root 
of rap music in Atlanta. And when you think about that, a whole lot of stuff that you hear and you think about and look back on and think about it in the context of Planet Rock, and it all makes sense, right? But for that to be the case, your city had to jump on this as soon as it got popping. I don't get the feeling that Houston was quite like that. Like, there were certain elements of Houston that were like that, but Houston wasn't quite in that place where, like, rap came and took over. And, like, a lot of the South... Um, that was the case. A lot of non-urbanized areas, a lot of the Midwest, Chicago. It took a while for Chicago to get cracking on it. Um, it seems like Detroit was in a slightly different place. Now, Brent's saying Atlanta is also a transplant city. This wasn't. We, we talking about Atlanta forty years ago, Brent. We ain't. We ain't. We ain't talking about Atlanta now. Forty years ago, it hadn't really gotten to be what it has become. Now, a man in the chat room saying, and he, he lives in Houston. And his cultural bias, Houston loves Houston and pretty much nobody else. Now, that is just a general Houstonian thing, yes. But as far as rap went, Houston loved the West Coast. Like, when people start talking about the West Coast and rap, the West Coast starts, like, at the Mississippi River. Like, actually, interesting example here. New Orleans is a city that got on rap early and came up with his own spin, with, you know, still also, like, two turntables and a microphone type stuff in a lot of ways. But New Orleans is a city that got on it early, and New Orleans is a place where cats will be into stuff from all over the place. You know, how my voice changed as soon as I started talking about New Orleans? But anyway, um, Houston, not so much about that. Dallas, I feel like that's a city where rap didn't quite get there as quick as it got to some other places. Um, but anyway, yeah, Houston, the West Coast started like the Mississippi River if not farther east than that. Memphis, that might be a good way to put it. West Coast started at Memphis. All right, it says, from one CAU alone to another, can you explain why walking through that gate of touching the grass is the bad idea? The gate, um, I forget where exactly it is, but you know what I'm talking about. The gate that'll get you over there by um, Harkness Hall and the, the Trevor Arnett Quad. You're, not supposed, you're only supposed to walk through that gate. You're not supposed to use that gate to walk in unless you have walked out of that gate and you walk out of that gate as a graduate. So I'm going to ask you this question, sir. Are you actually an alum or did you just go there? And it's cool if you just went, but still. There was a recent wire slash snowfall debate. Do you think snowfall can be an all-time great show? I watch snowfall. I enjoy snowfall. And if you haven't watched snowfall at all, and you want to maintain some level of surprise, maybe you don't want to listen to the next little bit of what I have to say on this podcast. But as you ask the question about whether it can be an all-time great show, I ask you to consider the fact that in season one, Franklin Saint, who is not from Oakland, was walking around Oakland with a backpack that had kilograms of cocaine in it in the dark and then got the bright idea to go to an old office that used to be his dad's office when his dad was down with the Black Panthers. And while he's in that office, he stumbles across a white woman who is smoking crack and she appears to really enjoy crack. And so he wants to find out what this thing is that she is smoking as he is unfamiliar with it. And she tells him, and then he asks where she got it and she takes him to where she got it. And then he is taken to go meet the RZA, who it turns out invented crack cocaine. And you just asked me if this can become an all-time great show. You just asked me that about that show. If you like the show, just enjoy the show. 
It doesn't have to be good for you to enjoy it. You don't need to make it into something for you to enjoy it. It doesn't have to be better than something else for you to enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Does that make sense? Now, my man says you don't have to compare two shows all the time. Yes and no. And this is, I ain't, like I say, again, I enjoy Snowfall greatly. I think it's very entertaining. I think they've created some characters that you can develop some relationships and attachments to. All of that stuff. But where Snowfall has failed in season four is that they took... So the whole idea of the media finding out about crack and all this stuff and then the story ultimately being buried really, 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 really matters. That's a really big deal. And they basically just used it as a plot device to be one more thing that Franklin Saint got to deal with. And uh, Teddy, or whatever his name is. That's just basically what they, what they made that whole storyline into. And so I do think that Snowfall gives the impression, gives the impression, because I can't say they ever promised to do this, but I do think that it gives the impression that it is trying to explore these things beneath the surface, you know, and get into the deeper ideas and the deeper stuff that's happening. But in the end, that's not actually what they do. And it's fine that that's not what they do. Just as long as it doesn't have any delusions of grandeur about what it actually is. But I do think that they write some amazing characters and have had some engrossing episodes. And it's done very, very well. But it also has some times where the writing just kind of comes up a little bit short. But I enjoy it a great deal. And that's the part that matters. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I think that's a good place to stop. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for watching us here on the E and the Jones. We try to do this thing as often as we can. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot watch the E and the Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe to Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. Well, wherever you get your podcast, we're all over the place now, baby. Enjoy yourselves. The Evening Jones is an old soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Oh My's Creative Design.